0: Welcome to the Nahrain Network podcast series. Today we're joined by Carol Isaacs and Daniel Jonas, creators of The Wolf of Baghdad, a memoir of a lost homeland. Hello, welcome to the Nahrain Network.
1: Thank you for having us. Hi.
0: You've created a wonderful audio graphic memoir of your work. Could you tell us about it?
1: I started life as a musician. I still am a musician, but I also do some cartoons. In the last few years, I've just been thinking more about my background, my heritage. It's always been there. I mean, obviously, my parents are both from Iraq and Baghdad. The family were there for more than 2,000 years. Uh, they left and they came to England, where I was born. I've never been, and... I was thinking, how can I bring the two aspects of my life together, the music and the drawing, into something that is more personal? And um, I realised that perhaps this is a way to tell um, the story of my family and then basically to recount their memories as a, as a graphic memoir, as a visual work that will be accompanied by the music of the time, music of the era, music of the place. I interviewed my family. I got their reminiscences, both good and bad, of their life in Baghdad. I made it into like a slideshow, digital. Um, If you think of it as a silent movie, so you have something running on the screen and underneath you have musicians playing live. So we'll be playing live to the action that's happening on the screen. The wolf is um, a mythical creature that I read about in a book that was published a hundred years ago about the Jews of Baghdad. And it said that they believed that keeping a wolf in your house would keep away the evil spirits, that it would protect the children, it would protect the, the household. And then when my mother, my mother died, I found a little amulet of a wolf's tooth that she had obviously pinned to my sister and I, the cradle. I asked some Bedouin in Jordan, actually, and they do the same thing. So the wolf in the Middle East is a, is a positive influence. It's a, it's a good thing. In the West, we tend to regard it, the wolf as something not nice, so I thought I could weave the two things into this. So the wolf is accompanying me uh, through this journey that I'm taking, this imagined journey through my family's memories of their lost homeland. I mean, they talked so much about how life used to be, how wonderful it was. In, and it depends actually on which generation you ask. My grandparents' generation would have said, "Yes, we lived happily. Everything was fine." But maybe people of my mother's generation and younger would say, well, we Mm. experienced harassment and we had to leave and, you know, we we, we left without, we had to renounce our citizenship in order to leave safely, which is that the last of them basically did that. So there were mixed memories. So I thought, I just imagine this journey that I take back there and show that to other communities in, in Arab lands, especially in Iraq, that we have so much more in common than divides us. Our culture is so much the same. You walk into my family's home, you'll hear Arabic being spoken. The food on the table is Iraqi; it's, it's Arabic food. Um, when we talk about holidays and festivals, we say Eid. We don't say we don't call it the in Hebrew. We call it in Arabic. We say Inshallah. There's a lot of things that we have in common. We come from the same place, and I noticed a lot of people didn't know that there were Jews that lived in Arab lands. They assumed being Jewish meant you all spoke Yiddish. You all eat smoked salmon, you eat bagels, you know, you say oy vey. I never had any of this in my house. It was all about um, kubba and barmya and, and Iraqi dates and sweets. And, you know, we talked Arabic. It was very much a Arabic household. One of the reasons for doing this project was that I lived essentially in two worlds all my life. The world in our home, which was an Iraqi Jewish home, and then the world outside, which is, you know, London in my case. So at home we'd speak one thing, we'd have a culture and then you'd go outside to talk to your friends and and it would be very English and very British and I went to a, a very, a, pu- a public school, a very kind of, you know, uptight, academic, terribly British school. So it was like, well where is my home? Where do I belong? One foot here, one foot there. And I find that with other people who whose parents have emigrated here they like have one world at home whether it's uh, Bengali or Pakistani or mm-hmm. Somali or whatever and then another world outside and they're essentially two people and it's well <laughs> where do I belong what is my home I'm, I was born here I have a British passport for which I'm very grateful but my culture says I'm from somewhere else so it's trying to reconcile those two things and having done this project I'm still neither I'm not I still don't know where I'm from you know, maybe there's a bunch of us that are just this hybrid of of two cultures, and we'll always will be, and that's what makes this country amazing. You know, we have all this cultural diversity. Daniel, so how are you involved in this project?
2: I've been involved in uh, various types of Jewish music for a while now. Initially on uh, Judeo-Spanish music, which is, I guess, originally from Andalus and North Africa, and now I'm also exploring my family's heritage on my mother's side which is also um Iraqi from Baghdad, Mosul, Kirkuk although my family went to India in the 19th century to my grandfather was born in Karachi, my grandmother in in, in Mumbai again my family came to England in in the 1950s but again we are another one of those families we we're not eastern european jews we are jews from the middle east from north africa from from the balkans but where i live now i i live in the iraqi jewish community in in north london that's the rhythm of my life those are the people i interact with that's that's the sounds that i
0: hear and you founded the line, which is a music group That's right.
2: Ayn was uh, set up to explore the music, uh, the Judeo-Arabic traditions. But for me personally, the sort of lead in that is about the Iraqi tradition, about both the sacred and secular traditions, both of which are very distinctly Arabic in terms of their modalities, their sounds, their language. But also, they are also quite distinctive. So, for example, in the secular Um, songs there is a lot of crossover with the with the popular music or that would have been listened to and it's still listened to um, in Iraq there's no distinction between um, uh, Jewish and Arab music in fact um, some of the great uh, Iraqi composers musicians performers were Jewish it would not have been the same tradition without uh, the Jewish musicians particularly famous uh, al-Kuwaiti brothers whose music is undergoing quite a renaissance now. This is also music that we're very interested in, it's part of our our repertoire. Uh, But equally, we're also looking at the repertoire of Iraqi Jewish sacred song. So these would be songs that are sung in the synagogue, in the home, at life cycle events, at parties, sometimes in Judeo-Arabic, sometimes also in Hebrew.
0: And this is a process of documenting, archiving, the music heritage that you know. Well, in many
2: cases, the hard yards in terms of documenting and finding things, that's work that's been done in the ethnomusicological field by people like Heskel Kojiman and Saramanase great specialists in this area who are people that have mentored us and helped with us, and we've, and we've worked with them, without whom these, this project would not go across the ground. But what we do which has been a theme in my music, has been about taking a, an old repertoire, a non-contemporary, sometimes very old repertoire, which is in the sort of common unconscious conscious or just in old recordings, and being able to bring that to life for a new generations, for people to discover it anew with either the traditional instruments that would have been used or the, with new instruments, because it was very contemporary at the time. If you hear the old recordings from um, discs from the 30s and 40s, they're using the contemporary sounds, the contemporary textures, the contemporary instruments, both European and Middle Eastern. What we're continuing to do is to reinvent that, but still retain that distinctively Judeo-Iraqi feel, I suppose.
0: That has become part of the everyday fabric of Iraqi music.
2: Very much so. Yes. Um, some of the songs that will be that will that will be performing things. Like, I mean, there will be things like Nazim al Ghazali's like, "Fara Nahal." I mean, who everyone knows that. I mean, Jews know that, Arabs, Muslims know that, Christians know that. Everybody knows that, no, no matter where they come from, because it's it's an Iraqi song. There are songs like "Tadini" uh, by uh, the Al Kuwaiti brothers. Again, people know that. It's a distinctively um, Iraqi rhythm. The, that ten sixteen, the, the Georgina. No one else plays that, not in that way.
0: And it's been a personal journey also. Um, very much. You've had to revisit memories mm-hmm. and your family's
1: experience. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's it's been quite emotional because i um, for some of them it's it's going back to places maybe they don't want to talk about. But they my family have been amazing. I mean they are incredible, um, very resilient people. They came with nothing and you know they made new lives for themselves here. The music angle has been fascinating for me because I played. Western music all my life. We didn't have this in my house. Mm. I think my family probably didn't want to hear. It reminded them of home. What was their home? And that was because, quite painful, for me. Yes. And so, to all intents and purposes, my parents wanted to be English and British. And so we had um, opera and classical music, Beethoven and Bach on, on the record player, you know. So, since meeting Daniel... Uh, the last two or three years and also before I worked with Ahmed Mukhtar, the, um, the oud player and yeah. um, I learned from him as well but him and Daniel and also Keith our oud player. Learning the repertoire has been eye-opening for me and ear-opening it's like a whole new world it's absolutely what it's like learning a new language and trying to be able to speak in it and and all the emotions that come with it like learning some of the makam have been quite emotional as well and I don't know why but they are, for me. Something inside is really quite moved when I'm hearing them or playing them. I don't know why that is. So trying to make it into a immersive experience that you're looking at images of Baghdad, or what used to be. You're looking at ghosts, essentially, passing through the city. Ghosts of my family. Someone in my family said, if we could go back to Iraq, it would be as Jewish ghosts. I've kind of taken that quote and used that. But I'm also hoping, part of me hopes that you know maybe we can go back in our human form as well. I don't know how, I don't know where, when, I don't know in what capacity, but we can only hope. And is this a
0: conversation amongst the Iraqi Jewish community, but have you also been able to reach out to non-Jewish Iraqis
1: that has been amazing. Since I started this project, part of my Arts Council app funding was that I had to make a blog and blog about it regularly about making of the project and the progress and everything. And I've got followers in in Iraq itself, in Lebanon, in in somewhere else as well, uh, United Arab Emirates. But there's a young 18-year-old guy, I presume he's Muslim, his his name is, and he's been so sweet. He's been sending me pictures of, I asked him, can you send me some pictures of of the old city, of, of the alleyways and the market? He's been sending them to me. I met, through my blog, another Iraqi emigre who's living here now. We've been in dialogue and through him and through others i've been meeting the wider iraqi diaspora and they're interested too they say so much so much of what i write is resonating with them so that gives me hope
0: of course it resonates with a lot of the pain of the past few decades in iraq
1: yeah. and what's been happening in recent history as well there's a scene in the book that addresses the pain of not just the jews but of everybody it's like and i'm dedicating the, the whole thing to the people of iraq it's not just about us Jews, which is about the Iraqi people as a whole. In fact, the Jews at one point said, We are Iraqi first before we are Jewish. They were so part of the fabric.
2: So for me, it's very important that Jews are not just constructed as people from Europe, people who are politically white people who are politically Western. As, like Carol says, there was a a period where it was very much invoked, particularly during the early 20th century, to describe oneself as an Arab Jew. Now, this construction of identity was very decisively refuted during the sort of, I suppose, the age of the dictators. It was seen that one could not be a Jew, and to be an Arab at the same time, these things were politically separated, and... We were not to be allowed to be a part of the community of the Middle East. And I think that's been a very sad thing because I think it's it's um, continued to make it harder to to move past the conflicts of the past and to heal. Part of what needs to happen now is for people to, for there to be a process of, I don't know, that maybe truth. Um, I think needs needs to be happen. We need to we need to talk about things. We need to talk about the Jews being there and why the Jews left, and about what's happened, and why Jews don't feel comfortable going back, whether Jews can be invited back, whether it's safe for Jews to go back, um, whether whether we're welcome, or, and about the sort of the the cultural side of it, uh, the heritage side of it. There's still massive discussions at the moment about about the Iraqi Jewish archive which was ma- very much maltreated birth, during the time of uh, Saddam Hussein and I think it's important for us to talk about these things explicitly it's not about creating a you did this you did that blame culture it's about saying well look here we are we're not hi- we're not here to have a big fight about things let's just be together let's listen to music let's play music let's get together and experience something which we can all enjoy and start to build some kind of social capital on which a dialogue can take place. And that's still very difficult in the musical world. We are still having conversations. In Ayan we have a collective about maybe 30, 40 musicians, mostly Jewish, many Arabs, um, uh, many people who aren't Jewish, and it's sometimes very difficult to have that conversation because people want to know oh is it going to be political is it going to be this uh, you know we're we going are we going to mention this thing are we going to mention that organization and we're not here about that uh, we would like to play music it would be nice if people didn't keep bringing the politics into it but we're not going to run away from it either nor are we going to hide you know who we are where we come from and where we are now and where we went to again part of part of this is very much dependent on m- music, uh, music requires funding and funding requires funding organisations and funding organisations have their own uh, have their own sort of stipulations and I think people understand that but at the same time we are still here to play music and to sing and to you know we're not running a museum here but yeah. we are still you know we're drawing upon the things that are partly museum-ish in order to tell a story of something that's still very much alive. It's transformed. It's not what it was. We're we're not going to have, like, suddenly going to be having, like, Jewish Chalhi nights in in Baghdad as a result of this. Jews are going to be talking about about Iraq. Jews are going to be talking about... It's so much more present than it was a few years ago in public discourse. And I think that's right. It needs to be public discourse
0: in Iraq here, generally
1: here. just to tell this story and let people make of it what they will and to put just to put our names on the map and say this is where we came from mm. this is who we are mm. this is what we've been through and telling it through a family story basically with music uh, that you know people people like to listen to music I think yeah. and um, ideally it would be great to be able to work with some Iraqi musicians at some point in the future on this repertoire we could learn so much from each other so we're putting on a performance of the wolf of baghdad which will involve the slideshow on the screen that will be accompanied by live musicians that's the first half of the evening the second half will be concert by ayin of other music, uh, music of Judeo Arabic origin. We're doing Iraqi music. We're doing. It's mostly Iraqi, isn't it? Dan?
2: Mostly Iraqi music. So there are a few sort of things which you might call sort of classic standards, which demonstrate, in fact, this kind of shared heritage. You have a lot of repertoire where um, some very defiantly secular songs about, you know, love and wine and whatnot being transformed, moving from Arabic lyrics to Hebrew lyrics, which are more about God. And the Divine Beloved, and using more sort of biblical and uh, religious themes.
1: This will be um, performed at JW3, which is uh, northwest London on the Finchley Road. I think you can find tickets at www.jw3.org.uk. And that's
0: the Jewish Community Centre and yes, Arts it's Venue. Arts Venue, that's yes, right. in London. And that's in NW36ET? Correct. Yes. Yes. It's yeah. on the Three. Thursday,
1: the 22nd of November. And we'd love to see people, we'd love the whole everyone to come and enjoy and just enjoy the music, enjoy the visuals. It's a great space. It's a wonderful space. For there's,
2: a wonderful, there's a wonderful restaurant.
1: <laughs> yes, there's a Middle Eastern restaurant that's attached to the venue.
0: And of course, you both would like to go to back to Iraq to visit at least.
1: You say that, but there's nothing left of our family. The places where i'd go to honor my family the cemeteries they've all gone i think saddam built a highway over where my grandfather is buried and our family there do you know what that is in your in yeah Baghdad? i know there's a name for it the, mm. the big highway is gone it just bulldozed mm. in um but to, to meet iraqis and to exchange ideas would be a wonderful opportunity and to play music together would be the, the best would be incredible just as I'm a, a student of this, of maqam, to go and study and to go and learn from people who know would be amazing.
0: And of course, the Jewish Music Institute at SOAS plays a big role in that.
1: They've been very supportive among, uh, for this project, actually. Um, um, they want to promote, because music, Jewish music, has has been a lot about European style and not so much about other, the other kind, the Oriental kind or the what, what Daniel's been working with the the Spanish and the Portuguese, the Ladino. Um, so yes, they are interested in in promoting and and disseminating this music to the to a wider public.
2: There's a far more rounded appreciation of um, of Jewish musical culture than there was when I started getting involved in it like a long time ago. Um, time was when people go, "Oh, you mean klezmer?" and we were saying, "Well, no, there is more to there is more to Jewish music than klezmer." And they say, oh, you're playing in Weddings and Barmets. And we're saying, no, there is a Jewish music tradition. And they say, what do you mean, Havanagila? And we're saying, no. And, but that was, that was then. I mean, nowadays people are getting used to hearing great singers coming out of the indigenous Jewish traditions, coming out of the Middle East. There are people working in the field. The the ethnomusicologists... Have done so much work to surface the um, repertoire, to transcribe. I mean, we've had to do some ourselves. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's not all just necessarily waiting there for things like the 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 sort of Al Kuwaiti brothers things. We've been one of the most wonderful things for us has been YouTube. People yeah. have just been from all over the world just uploading old performances from like old '78s or from TV shows and you can go and watch old performances from like Iraqi TV or hear them from Iraqi radio or people's old records that you would never find in a million years you wouldn't find it in a library you'd you wouldn't find it anywhere but somehow now because we have the internet you can actually find these old performances and hear them and encounter them yourselves and you can sort of like you know get them onto your own devices and and listen to them and you can hear the people upload lyrics people transcribe lyrics the tech has really made this easy and the wonderful thing also is that sometimes where you have recordings online the social functionality on the websites involves dialogue you see people dialoguing yes in arabic
1: in... in hebrew in english and you read it tra- and you can and see talking what to each talking other. To
0: and on that note thank you carol and daniel for coming into the nahrain network office at ucl and the song at the beginning of this podcast was by Dawood and salah al kuwaiti iraqi kuwaiti jewish musicians and the song is called wallah ajibni jamalik goodbye
2: Thank you. It's been uh, really great. Thanks for having us. Bye.